Greetings. This is Talking In Stations. Today's date is 30th of June. We've got, this is the end of the month. The next day will be July. And we've got some things to discuss. With me today is Abby. How's it going, everybody? Gagorin. Evening. Shen. Hello, hello. We have Matterall uh, hosting everything in the background. And today we're going to be doing something different on Talking In Stations with me, Rich Richmond, as the host. While normally we have guests who are experts on their fields, sometimes they can be hard to relate to. Today we'll be having somebody, a guest who is, well, quite average, and he's got an interesting story, which I believe many people will be able to relate to as compared to other experts, which... While they are incredible at their fields, they can be hard to relate to if you don't do the same things they do. Our guest will be Dill Pickle, who we will introduce later. But today, let's start off with the changes to the games. Sh uh, Shen, you mentioned there's some changes to the Pacifier and Enforcer, which were previously yeah. mixed, missed off. Yeah, so uh, in the forum that CCP Dopamine posted, uh, so he posted their uh, in the Hunter Spoon change, uh, he said there will be changes coming to the pacifier and the enforcer. And I think two days ago, we got more detail of how that's going to look like. So right now we know that the uh, pacifier is going to, pacifier will have its power grid increase to 60, uh, one extra high slot, uh, max velocity increase to 340, and increase both max turret and launcher hardpoint to 4. Can uh, I get a link to that so I can put it on stream? It's on Ocean. Oh no, on Ocean. Very well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so for the Enforcer, power grid is increased to uh, 1150, one extra high slot, just like the Pacifier. Max velocity to 190. Uh, added a Jungbei, which is highly requested before. Uh, 25 cubic meter for bay and bandwidth also 25. An increased max. A turret and launcher hardpoint to seven. So it's basically adding one extra uh, launcher slash turret hardpoint to both of the ship. Uh, uh, at least for my personal opinion, the pacifier needs more cap, not more turrets. Uh, and the enforcer in general is a Sino ship, so it doesn't really matter for its offensive capability. I see. But they haven't been given any of the bonuses the other Covert Ops ships have. They don't get movement speed bonuses cloaked. They don't get scanning bonuses. It's just a unique scanning ship. Yeah, and it's, so the way that you can get them is either from in, invite your friends. Uh, so the invite link that you get uh, on the official uh, EVE page. Or you can do it uh, in the, uh, what's it called? the project discovery. Uh, so you get blueprints for them and you can buy the materials either off the market or from your friends. I see. I think they're a nice little quality of life changes. I mean, yeah, the, the drone bay isn't going to make a huge difference. It's not going to make or break the ship, but it had everything except the drone bay. And so, you know, it's kind of a nice little nod to those Galente pilots, I guess. Um, I mean, you know, you could have some utility drones in there as well. Uh, I don't know what to and... feel about the pacifier because it doesn't get any of the scanning bonuses. But then again, if uh, most of the people I know that run the pacifier as a scanning ship, they usually have scanning implants and expensive setups. So I'm not sure if the scanning bonuses are really necessary for it. Yeah, as a ship that is um, 
I mean, what is it, about 150-ish million? It's kind of three times the, the cost of an Astero. I think I'd rather three Asteros. Mm, well, I know somebody who uses it. They love to roll in luxury. They want nothing but the best for scanning. And they want to zoom as fast as possible and get around places. I think the Pacifier will remain popular, even though it's no longer the best scanning ship. It's the most luxurious one, for sure. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Yeah. And plus, like, the Enforcer right now is about 600 million, which is like three times the normal Sino ship. Uh, other than just showing off, there's not really any point to fly it on a daily basis. Well, I, I think I that the, I think that the reason why the pacifier is popular is because it's expensive, not necessarily because it's uh, the best. It's a warp speed. Yeah, speed is time is money. It, like the the best thing about the pacifier compared to compared to any other club ops is the warp velocity bonus that you get. Uh, so right, yeah, usually has about 10 AU per second of warp velocity, and that can make you get to relic data size way faster compared to uh, other uh, cover-up ships, which is about 8 AU per second. Well, you went with relic and data sites, I was immediately thinking like a target to get web scrammer point on. Well, <laughs> the Enforcer is a rather unique ship where I think it's one of the only ships to have, well, bonus to everything given it's uh, Concord, but it also a scram bonus and a web bonus at the same time. I uh, do know someone who used this to be really, really irritating because they would decloak, they would scram web you, and then they would drop uh, several supers on you. And now his yeah. maximum velocity is increased by a tiny bit. I don't think the Enforcer would be commonly used for combat anyway. It's incredibly slow. I think it's one of the slowest recons. Yeah, usually people for recons, for shield ones, usually is uh, the Falcon or the Rapier. Uh, Rapier is just fast. Falcon has an insane amount of uh, miss slots with shield extenders and uh, multi-spec hardeners. Uh, but these changes are still in progress, so they may be updated. These are not set in stone. Yeah, like if, if CCB really want to make them feel special, what they can do to, let's say, the Enforcer is the same thing that they did on the uh, monitor, uh, which which is that, like, say, for a Kadari bonus, you get 4% uh, shield resist per level. For uh, Amara ones, you get 4% armor resist. For Mimitar, you get max velocity. For uh, Galante, you get, like, reduction in signature radius or something like that. Like, if you get, if you have those bonuses on the Enforcer, <laughs> then it's been way popular, and I think that's really worth the price. Yeah, you can see the absolutely stacked bonuses the Enforcer gets. Warp speed acceleration, web range, scram range, and, well, all the weapons you like. And it is the only recon that you do not need Cruiser 5 to fly. So, technically, this can be one of the fastest recons to get into. It's also one of the most expensive ones, barring AT ships. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually, the, um, the, the skill requirements for it. The skill requirements yeah. only require... Wow, what is this? I thought they required. No, you well, they only require mim. They only require cruiser one. Yeah, all for one, and then recon one, basically. That it's very easy to get into, but super expensive. What do you use to uh, drop caps, Jen? Uh, for us, it's usually a, a rapier or a falcon. 
Uh, rapier is just because it's fast. Uh, even though it's cloaked, it has about 300 to 400 meter per second, so you can really catch targets really fast and just be at zero, sign up, and then jump in supers to uh, to kill some things. But more than often, it depends on situation, to be honest. Um, let's say if I want to catch someone, if I want to drop supers, it's Arazu because it's bonus to point range. And uh, if it's for, let's say, just sign my Roku back to the keep start, and you should, to be honest. I see. Well, on the topic of capitals and capital use, I hear that one of the groups within Wrecking Crew are now disbanding. Gregorin, what is going on with Tactical Supremacy? Yeah, the, the uh, Tactical Supremacy, they're an Australian alliance, which uh, I think they were one of the founding members of Legacy, but they left around the end of 2019, a I think a little bit after the end of the Frat War. Uh, they're, they And they moved to Wrecking Crew uh, early last year. They're they are disbanding. Uh, they they said they weren't finding enough uh, content for uh, a small to medium scale to keep everyone interested, but they're going to try to keep everyone together. I think they said they will announce what what they will be deciding a bit later. Do you have a like a release statement from them or any kind of ping detailing this? No, I just asked someone who I know and in in the in the alliance and got and got some got some comments. I, Where will uh, their well constituents uh, go to once they disband? Do you you have any ideas? Uh, I I was told that they'll make an announcement soon, but they want to keep their main corporations together. That's I see. That's a shame. There's. Not that many Australian time zone groups off the top of my head. And I, I I remember Tactical Supremacy was quite a strong one, especially in the... In uh, the uh, what you, they did you mean Australian? Australian? Sorry, Australian. Yeah, oh, not Australian time sorry, zone. Sorry, no, not Australian time zone. Australia, uh, Australian, uh, Australia itself. Yeah. Uh, when I was flying in Wrecking Crew... Uh, Last year, during the Providence War, uh, when I was with Waffles, I liked flying with those guys because they, they were always good at what they did. So uh, I do remember them because I believe when I was in test and we did a little fun row and we ended up ro running into their space and I think at the time we died. I thought they, they were in Legacy when you were in test. I, I think they were just leaving or I, I don't know, it's... It's been a while, but uh, Legacy, uh, well, Test, has experienced quite a serious loss in the system of 08STAC39. This Astro House that uh, you're seeing right here, owned by Siberian Alpha Fleet, was abandoned. And we all know what happens to abandoned structures. They drop all the leather loot, there is no asset safety, and... The Imperium, Goonswarm Federation, showed up with a lot of bombers to take it out. The structure, well, didn't, uh, had only one rig. It was armed. Doesn't seem to have ammo, though. It was cored, but uh, don't, yes, it didn't have ammo, it didn't have fuel, and it went abandoned. And when it went abandoned, it dropped every one of its items. This hangar, uh, 
based on a screenshot. And if I look very carefully in the corner, it looks like Brisk Rubol. But this screenshot, which looks like it's got Vaseline because I'm zoomed into it 180%. It wasn't taken on the best resolution. If I could get a better one, I would love to show it. But if I look very carefully, and if I go ahead and if I can find my magnifying glass, it says right here, 62 billion-esque worth of items in this single hanger alone. Numbers are floating up on how much asset safety, well, not asset safety items, were dropped from this Astro House. Uh, they're in the triple digits in terms of billions. So we're looking at around, I'm, uh, I'm hearing around 200 to 300 billion worth of assets that were dropped from here. Some of which were killed on the spot and not all of it was secured, but there are uh, a lot of smaller items which I presume were secured. If we check the system of 08S on Zico, we can certainly see that some of the APOC navies used by somebody, uh, these three of them, smart bombing apocalypse navies, navy issue battleships, were all destroyed. So not all of their value was extracted in this instant. But this is a reminder to always ensure your structures are fueled and not in abandoned states. Otherwise, somebody will just come kill it and take all of the items within. Now, on the topic of killing, another fraternity titan has fallen right into their staging. We remember recently that a Komodo had died to snuffed out. The Komodo pilot has stated that he will replace it, and apparently he plexed it, immediately plexed into another Komodo, the absolute madman. But in this case, there was a Ragnarok that died. Now, luckily we do have a guest who is from Winter Coalition. And this guest, while he isn't an expert in any particular field, he's had quite an interesting and storied history during his time in EVE. I'd like to introduce to you Dill Pickle, who flies under Lord of Worlds. Good evening, thanks for having me. What happened with this... Titan, this Ragnarok deal that died in 4 attack HWWF. Uh, apparently, it was a miswarp, is what we're being told. Hmm. Someone, I, I don't know if it was a fleet warp or an accidental warp, but that's what happened. Mm, we, that's not the same answer I heard, <laughs> but yeah. What have you heard, Shen? So a fraternity spy invited uh, a horde spy, and that horde spy somehow got on to one of the senior as in so one of the horse spy got into the wing commander and the fleet didn't set itself to uh, to disallow free move so therefore that fleet command that wing commander can flee warp anyone and that Ragnar didn't uh, exempt himself from flee warp either so uh, yeah tragedy over tragedy did uh, any of these snuffed out dreadnoughts well, did, how many of them made it out? Six out of seven. Six out of seven. They reinforced... Uh, reinforcing this... Dread, uh, these dreads were a fleet of... Well, a bomber and a lot of Tengus. Good God, that is a lot of Tengus. Well, the good news is, we don't have to just look at Ezekiel because somebody recorded it and uploaded it onto YouTube. So... Yay! This would be... Uh, snuffed out, uh, snuffed out, ugh. snuffed out perspective of what had happened. 
you can uh, you can see everybody has signed in. This is this pilot is uh, multi-boxing with a heavy interdictor and a Tengu at the same time. They've cleared off the field of uh, subcaps resistance, and they're beginning to go to work on the Ragnarok. The video length is about, about five minutes. I th I'm not sure if this video is sped up or not. I can't quite tell with the modules. I think it's sped up a little bit. I think it's double speed, to be honest. Double speed? All right, I'll, but I'll, I'll skip ahead to avoid the tedium because it's... As we all know, with killing things... Killing is the easy part. It's the hunting that's the hard part. It's the, and it's the anticipation. So within a few minutes, it goes into shields, and oh, I skipped over the death. Well, does this have music? I think it does. Yes, it does. Welcome, Ron USNC. Thanks for the raid. So we see the ragdoll here, and everybody approaches the wreck to grab whatever loot they can before proceeding to destroy the wreck. And whatever fraternities, uh, well, response fleet that they can muster up at this point begins landing on the grid. We'll skip ahead so, to see what happens. Yeah, so things to note, uh, this happened around 4 a.m. in uh, Beijing time. So it was fraternity mainly sleeping. So yeah, and it's basically their EU and some early uh, USTZ responses. So you, you, you don't see any cap reinforcement uh, or super cap reinforcement like last time uh, the Kumodo had. Uh, but we do see the fraternity mutant fleet landing in here along with uh, a lot of interdictors from them to secure what they can. But it seems, yeah. aside from the dreadnoughts, which were obviously in siege and unable to extract, the majority of their subcaps have uh, well extracted and avoided uh, fighting any further. Uh, so just on the fit of the Iraq, uh, it's very, very standard. That's what you see in OSEC fit. Uh, uh, we have a bit different fitting instead of a Pism X type uh, EM shoe harder, you should fit another shoe extender. Oh, hold on. That, that might be upsec. Titan fittings are technically secret. I don't want to hear it. It's, it's standard. It's standard all across NOSEC. There's no secret. Ah. Uh, but now we have uh, additional guests Ren, our numbers guy, and a friend to Dill Pickle. Hello. And Rondel, I haven't seen you in a long time. Boy, you're a sight for sore eyes. Yeah, a little bit. Sorry, I've uh, here and there. I was a little sick a little while ago. Did a little bit of last week. We've been doing a, a lot of shows at different times. Uh, you know, a little bit of real life playing havoc too. So I will get it all sorted. And uh, well. I'm going to talk about dead titans. And I'd love to hear uh, you know stories about players who have storied histories, uh, like Dill Pickle. So uh, I'm going to help keep things on track and ask some. Some probing questions, some deep introspective probing questions. Dill, tell me a bit about yourself. Well, when did I'm you start a... Eve? Well, I started Eve a long time ago, I believe 2004, 2005, and played through pretty consistently until about 2015, 16, and I took myself a little break until about a year and a half ago. Uh, tell me about your venture and, uh, during this time. When was your, I guess, breakout period? where you really started doing things in EVE? My breakout period was probably around 2015, actually before I took my break for family reasons. And when I took my break, I left a lot of stuff unsettled I wanted to try in the game, such as, you know, building my own corp, moving corp from high sec to null sec, um, and, you know, kind of establishing a foothold for myself. You know, I'd always been second line i'd never ceo'd i had never really fc'd or anything to that point 
And, you know, that's one thing I told myself if I ever was going to come back to the game, that that was going to be the path I would follow. How? Uh, what did your corp start off doing? High-sec mining, actually. High-sec mining. And I used to do a lot on uh, the Jita and Dodixie market with speculating and all that fun stuff. What made you come back to EVE? Well, um, a little bit of a life change for me happened um, with COVID and everything. So I was home full time. Plus, um, I had had a stroke and was stuck at home permanently. So I had no outlet and I started watching Talking and Stations, ironically, again. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to resubscribe. So I resubscribed all my accounts and that was that. I'm sorry to hear that, the circumstances of it. Well, you know, it's been a good thing, you know. Eve has always been a very social thing for me, and it's been more of a kind of a healing thing for me, too, in a sense. I see. Now, you went from a high-sec mining group. Was there any, I guess, in-between in the, the transition to where you are now, Lord of Worlds and Nullsec, or how did that come to pass? Well, we had originally started back in high, and... Uh, after about six months, uh, we had been approached to join up with Pandemic Horde. So we went down to Cobalt Edge for about three or four months and tried to establish a foothold down there. You know, that went good for a while, but then also I had some IRL issues that caused me to be removed from uh, my position down there. And uh, we got a little bored, so we decided to move on a little bit did did you meet ren during this time since you two are friends yes uh meeting ren i met him down in dragon i was making myself feel very uh, popular out there by calling me corp ceo an idiot <laughs> well what what well i i do remember encountering dragon i have uh fought them before what happened that made you call them an idiot. What happened in Pandemic uh, Horde? Um, they made some decisions without talking to a leadership group, which I very much disagreed with in terms of I think they're still stupid, but we won't go too much into them. And I'm not the sort of guy who usually beats around the bush. If I think you're an idiot, I'll tell you. And he, the CEO wasn't too impressed about that and asked me to politely leave. Did... Deal follow you, or did uh, what? What happened with you two? Um, I, I headed off to do some solo stuff in a wormhole, and Dill did his stuff. He went back to high sec a bit later. Dill, what did you do when you were in Dragon? Um, I ran uh, mining operations for them, and also I helped out a lot with the new bros coming out. New bros, what type yeah. of stuff did you do? Um, I'm real big on when we get new people in and stuff to make sure people are acclimated and, you know, I tend to gravitate towards newer players. So I'd always make sure. People... So what's the main, uh, what's the main thing that you need to do? Do you find with a new player, like your top three, when a new player comes, I need to do A, B, and C or one, two, three, however you like to think of it. Uh, Dill? Dill, you there? Did we lose the Dill Pickle? I think uh, we lost think... the Dill. Yeah, I think we lost the Dill Pickle. It's sour. I'm sorry. Well, we'll have to we'll have to get the deal with Gherkin uh, shortly. Ren, uh, well, yeah, since uh, you know, his internet went out. He's coming back on. All right, all right. We'll wait for him to come on, but uh, in the meanwhile, 
So, yes. uh, during the wormhole time, uh, did you two keep in touch? Yeah, so I was doing solo stuff in a wormhole. I had a few issues and various things. My previous corp decided to come and play fun with uh, reinforcing stations, that sort of stuff. Dill stood up and said, I'm going to come help you. So on all the timers that I was getting, he came around to help out and all that sort of stuff and provide some support. Um, he's also very good with uh, the industry stuff, and I was looking at getting into industry, so he's provided me with a whole bit of advice on where to go, how to go, and all that sort of stuff in terms of getting into it. Um, eventually, I was doing some other stuff, and Dill started talking about this um, Baskaran Keepstar that he saw on Talking in Stations, and he kept talking and talking and talking about it and how he's going to turn up, and he ended up turning up for a few fights there. He heard about... Wait... He heard about the Baskaran Keepstar from us. I yeah, do remember it. the... He heard about it from you guys, and it, like, it was the only thing I ever heard about for the next two and a half weeks in terms of, like, this is what's going on, this is the stuff and all sorts of stuff. And he ended up taking a fleet of his high-sec guys down to help try and defend the uh, Baskaran Keepstar. Ah, Dill, you're back. I apologize for that. We have severe thunderstorms in our area. Uh... I was just telling about your Baskaran adv- adventures. Oh, How yeah. did you? What happened with the Baskaran Keepstar? There were all sorts of people there. I was there, in fact, with the small gang group and our 100, 100 MN Drakes. What I mean, were that you doing was, there? That was something else. Um, I I had a small Loki fleet there that we went for defense, and that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in the game. I, I've your never. Fl- Go ahead, this sorry. was sorry. This was your uh, high sec mining group. That you, yeah, I gathered them up and uh, we went over there and tried to help out, but that was doomed from the start, kind of. But all that matters is we went over and helped. And well, uh, what happened afterwards? Well, during that, we had actually run into some of Lord guys out there because they were out there trying to help with Fraternity and Winter Coalition, and I became friendly with several of them, and ended up following them down to Null, moving all my guys down there and setting operations down there. So I was actually, let me just kind of jump back uh, about a question that I asked you when you went poof. And the yes. Picture went boom. Um, new bros, when you're bringing them in, what are your top three things that you like automatically know, all right, I'm going to have to help them with A, B, and C. Like what are, do you have a list like that? And what are they? Uh, can you walk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, not a problem. The first thing I look for is their Magic 14. I want to make sure their skills are solid. If they're not solid, I want them on the right path. Number two I try to to help them with is make sure they keep their head where it should be and not get uh, not dream too big and get blown up and get discouraged. Because that's one thing I've noticed with this game, especially for the newer players, that once they lose a ship, once they lose this, once they lose that, you know, that's when people quit the game. So you, you kind of got to hold, not hold their hand per se, but you kind of have to guide them to more obtainable goals so they're not trying to achieve something that's going to be a big letdown in the end. Okay, we're going to come back to that one. What's number three? And thirdly, I like to make sure that at least they're somewhat proficient with basic PvP or just defense stuff. So, you know, you're hitting your D-skin, you know, you're checking your surroundings, making sure you're on your intel channels, the little stuff that matters. 
So uh, the second point, right? Because I know that Rich and I have talked a lot about this. Other people have. One of the main, and I'm sure the the the, the, uh, the audience will have the varied opinion. One of the main um, aspects of um, of PVP is losing that first ship or losing a couple of big ships. And, you know, of course, always only undock what you can lose. But there's this kind of underlying thought, even from CCP and many people, that it's actually your first and second deaths that keep people in the game. But you very clearly said when people lose stuff, they decide to quit. So there's an enormous, obviously, it's it's completely opposite opinions to each other. So can we explore that with you a little bit? Can you tell me why you think or what your experience is with when people are losing stuff, they quit? Is it out of frustration? Is it just the sheer loss? Like, let's explore that a little bit. Because I think what you talk about is probably closer to the truth. And I think we're just kind of bullshitting ourselves as a community that, um, you know, that death keeps people. When you kill someone or you really screw them over, they they love it. I think that's a small percentage of people. That's my personal opinion. I'll kick, I'll kick it off that way. But what do you think? Can you walk us through a little bit more, go a little more in depth on that topic? No, that's a good point there. I mean, anything in life, when you get let down like that, I mean, that's a big kick in the gut, regardless of whether it's in EVE or in real life. And again, it comes back to managing people's expectations and managing their experience. You know, I consider myself in-game more of a, you know, when I'm helping a new bro, more of a dungeon master sort of role because I'm helping form their experience. And I think that the learning curve also with Eve has a lot to do with that because it's steep and it's brutal. And if you don't have friends and you don't know people, you're going to not have a good time off the rip. So I think that comes back to it too. So whenever you get new guys in, I mean, that's, that's the first thing. You just need to make sure they understand what they're doing, what they're getting into, and, you know, and what the results of said actions are going to be. I think right. there's also a, if you spend a lot of this to get into a ship and then immediately die, you kind of get a bit pissed off and you'll quit the game. But if you spend a lot of this, get into a ship, use it for a couple of months, get used to it, get happy with it, and then die, it's like, all right, I'm just going to go get another one. Yes, that's the difference, and that's the that's the subtlety of what I said, right? When I say, look, it's bullshit that if you just die, you're going to be happy and you're going to stay, right? Dying is the, – the death part is a gut punch. It is no fun, but exactly what I think you guys are saying is if I know I have a path forward to recover, if I have a way to recoup or regain what I, I lost, or and in other words, my expectations are managed, right? That is – the subtle key. So the people who claim, oh, you just go die and you'll love this game are, are, are selling the wrong product. Uh, I think I, it's, it's a hard sell because I've played things like RuneScape. I've played, uh, actually, I didn't, I haven't played World of Warcraft, but to me, it's, you grind all these hours for something, you want to make use of it. And in EVE, you could you could lose something just by clicking one button, and as long as somebody on the other side is prepared, there's nothing on God's green earth that you can do to save yourself at that point. And for to grind all of that and just to lose it over something where you might not be able to use it or you might not be satisfied, I think the idea that people will be happy that they lost it, it's oh, don't kid yourselves on that. Uh, yeah, I also think there's a bit to do with your corp and your alliance because I've known people who got into, say, an orca, and they were pushing and pushing and got into the orca, and then the first time they flew it, they got dropped on and died, and they were super upset. But the corp and all the guys around him turned around and bought him a new orca, and it's that 
camaraderie that can keep people into the game as well? Uh, I'll jump in like here playing the other side of uh, the perspective, uh, which is um, if you lose, uh, let's say, a alliance auctionship in a strat up, you will get SRP'd. And that experience is really fun. We're actually in a fleet, calling off for, for rep, uh, pushing the ATC button and everything. And if you, even though if you lose the ship, you will feel rewarded, first of all, of you actually being there and fight the battle. And second of all, you will get rewarded for the ISK, for the SRP. Well, so in a way, that's because it's a free ship, ship though, right? It's not yours. You're not really losing yeah. your thing, right? Yes. Yeah, so in it's the way. same thing as Ryan said, right? Like, yeah. You get the ship back. As long as you get a ship back, it's the experience. I'm getting, fun. yeah, I, I know for sure. Uh, yeah, I know for sure. Shen and Ren and I are kind of talking about Nullsec. Dill Pickle, is, is this this is this the same experience you have in high sec versus Nullsec? Because for the high sec opinion, that's really where this you die and you stay retained. When you go out to Nullsec, I think the expectations instantly change for the player who knows where they're going. But the high sec miner, the person who undocks in an industrial or their first mining ship, and they just get blown away and they're in their first 30 days. They're like, what the, what the, the there's no retention element there. And it's really hard to manage expectations, but I, your opinion, high sec, low sec, null sec, does it change? What's your experience there? Well, when you're coming from high sec to null sec, you should have somewhat of an idea what you're getting into. I'm looking at this more from, like you said, the 30 day player, but I just, you know, I'm just Omega my account. I'm going to go mine some rocks and, and then just blop. Right. And that's just a game ender for some of those. So guys. then how do how did you manage the expectation of a player who's, you know, you, they come into your corp, they've only been playing for 14, 15 days. They haven't lost anything yet. And you get them out on a mining op or they're, they're tooling around a little bit and they run into code or safety or, or there's a war, someone drops a war, and they're not penitent. Like, how do you, what do you actually do? Let's pretend Rich is brand new. Like, you know, just sucking on a coconut, doesn't know any better. I just want to mine. What do you say to the guy? How do you help him? Well, I always try to make sure they have the right tools. You know, make sure you know who's around you, who's surrounding you. And if someone's that new, I'm not going to send them out there on their own. I'm going to make sure there's someone at least keeping an eye on where they are and what they're doing but again it's all about having the proper proper tools at your disposal and a lot of that has to do with what corp and alliance you're in too so i mean for a solo player eh, that's a different ball game right but what so so rich has just joined your corp though like right like it, it, like you know help him out here are, are you is it about the srp is it about the mechanics that's really what i'm getting at is it about the isk is it about setting up the support system or is there they're literally just, here's how you need to think about the game. I'm thinking the difference between ISK and things that you give to people versus, um, you know, uh, experience and the psychology of how to approach the game. Because there's nothing I can give you in the game. I can't just contract a, you know, a mindset to you. So there's two, I always, my experience is there's always two elements. It's the physical, well, the virtual physical things you can give someone, you know, like a weird pair of glasses or something. You can give them that, but you can't set up the, set the expectation up, you know, uh, of how to approach this game, right? So which, which way do you go with it? Or is it both? Well, I, I tend to go both ways on it. Um, you know, I don't mind with a new guy like that SRPing his stuff. But then a lot of times, me SRPing is not going to teach him a lesson, so he's 
more thoroughly prepared for things in the future. So sometimes you just kind of got like, you got to let them go on their own with stuff, stuff like that. They got to understand loss, but they also need to understand there's someone there to help them. I have a strange analogy to make about this. And I feel it's, I'll make a medieval example, because in the medieval times, in the Middle Ages, in every town, in every kingdom, people, uh, old men were expected to serve their liege lords. Young uh, uh, boys and men, after, say, church service, they were expected, at least in England, to, say, practice archery. It was required to practice it. People uh, lived their lives and grew up knowing that at any moment, if something were to happen and the king ordered it, they would be rallied and they would bring, uh, bear arms and they would have to go to war. And I think it's sim same in some countries today that still practice conscription. People who live in Null, people who join and go straight to Null space, and people who live in these conscription countries, they understand that at any moment they might have to bear arms they might have to fight and they might have they might uh, have to put themselves at risk or in this case put their ships at risk but if you in countries say where or in high sec where pvp is less prevalent and people aren't expected to immediately lose their ship on a frequent basis and have to look behind their shoulders every where they go and scout every gate they jump into people don't expect that so it's, it's a different mindset. That's uh, not to say that the mindset is right or wrong, but it's just, it's different. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. like, uh, I think put in another way, like I think Norris has put this way before, which is in Nosek, uh, all the people you see in fleets, in, in doctrine ships, they're not perfect soldiers. They're not professional soldiers. What they are is they are armed farmers. They farm during their free time and when there is a need, they will gather up their guns and come out to fight. I draw this an analogy because I, I've known a few people who lived in who live in countries where they have conscription. I've known people who have voluntarily uh, served, and then I've known people who live in countries who suddenly called up conscription, and it it uh, horrified them because they weren't used to it. They didn't. They lived their lives knowing they could do whatever they wished. They didn't live their life knowing that they might have to go to into combat at any moment. And I think that's the key thing about playing in Null space. In Null, you spend your game, all your time in the game, knowing that you can be, you can be engaged in combat at any time, and you are required to well, at least participate and be part of the content. While in HiSec, it's, it's different. You have Concord giving you what protection they have, and you just don't expect, well, you should expect groups like Code or Safety, but you just don't expect any random person entering local to be a danger these days. Well, that's yeah, one follow thing on. With, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Well, that's one thing with being even in high sec when I had my guys up there is they went on random low and null roams. I took them on filament roams two or three times a week. I made sure that they knew what combat was, even though they were in high sec, so that way they would have you know, even if they were losing out there, at least they knew what to do in a situation. Well, you're in a situation where your coalition is technically in a war. So what's it like living on the home front? It's... Because I, to my knowledge, Lord Lord is part, uh, Lord is part of uh, Winter Coalition. They're a bit of a vassal. They don't rent. They're big no, enough not to not rent. Renters. They're definitely not renters. But you, well, your involvement in the war is 
you're, you're not at the vanguard, you're not at the tip of the spear, you're uh, a lot of Lord are still back at home. What's it like living on the home front during this war, and especially so close to Jita? There is a lot of homeland death that we've been doing lately because of the war, because it does limit numbers from time to time. And uh, yeah, being that close to Jita is quite interesting, the traffic that you get through, such as you know, goons and everything. We get all kinds of people through there every day. So you always, you have to have your head on a swivel down there. Uh, we'll have to say goodbye to Ren. He, his family have come and he won't be able to talk any further on the stream. Uh, and... I'll, I'll ask next. Um, so before the mobile observatory change, uh, so there were cloaky campers. I know we do that in Vail. So how is that going to affect it anyway to, uh, to your new corpse or new bro corpse? Well, if they're that dependent on Warden's source of income, that's an issue. You always have to have different ways to earn and different ways to find content. If there's a Cloakies camper somewhere, I'll just take him somewhere else. Uh, somewhere I'll... else, as in somewhere else in Null or back to Isaac? Uh, no. Uh, I... so let's say like before to change, right? We, I think we've camped all systems in Vale. So do you just find another region or well, what do you do then? Because I think all system back then, it was camped. Yeah, they weren't camped very good, though. It didn't stop a lot of people from earning. You just got to know what you're doing. You got to be aware of your surroundings. You know, there's certain places you can go at certain times and certain places you can't go. Cloaky camping is not even a concern to me much anymore. Well, how do you make more money, especially with the new players, when the cloaky campers arrive and you can't do any more ratting? Gas mining. That's... Ooh! You're the yeah. one filling that niche. Gas mining and wormholes and anomalies. That's one of my favorite things to take the new guys out to do. You're, I see. As of current, you're qualified to be a fleet commander, right? You can ping out fleets and issue yeah, SRPs. Yes, I, I do skirmish pings and stuff like that, yes. All right, and you just support the new players. Uh, you do gas huffing. Did you do any mining-based roles in the past? Yes, I have. I've, I've oh. done a lot of mining back in the day, but... I've kind of uh, grown tired of it. At least the gas mining, there's a little bit of element of danger to it more than smashing rocks all day. Well, the gas mining has recently achieved new popularity under the new industry changes. How have you taken advantage of gas mining? Um, a lot of people still aren't doing it. I, I'm finding sites right and left, so I've just been hitting everything I can get my hands on it because everyone's kind of just letting it go to waste, which surprises me with the changes. I very rarely find anyone in wormholes or in regular space picking it up. What wormholes? What do, you, do you get? How do you guess half in wormholes if you're living in case space most of the time? Well, we just scan them down. We'll go in with logi. We go in with eyes. Uh, make sure we're covered and and out and done. You go. You go in with a fleet. A small group, yes. Smaller the better. Less. Do you number, do the industry? Do you do the industry with the gas? Uh, do you build the components and the reactions, or do you? Does somebody yeah. else do that? Um, I do some reactions. I've actually been playing with a lot of pills lately. I've never done that before, and I've kind of been going hog wild on that lately. That's been kind of fun and profitable. But uh, yeah, the most of the reacting does go to other alliance members. Biggest issue I'm assuming is uh, transporting the the gas out, right? And yeah, that is still uh, an issue at times. Make sure that hole doesn't get rolled behind you or something crazy. 
Yeah, I've, I've had that happen a few times, yeah, and that's, that's not fun. fun. No, yeah, not at all. But that's that's interesting. So, well, I mean, nope. I don't think cloaky camping can defeat. Well, you, there's no local in a wormhole. So even if they did cloaky camp a wormhole, God forbid, doesn't do anything. Nobody nobody no. notices it. So and even it, with this cloaky camping, you've well, you found ways to get the new players uh, on a ball and rolling and making money. Yeah, and it's like I said, it's not hard. It's all about awareness. I mean, cloaky camping does serve a point in this game but you know a lot of guys get frustrated they're like oh shit you know there's a cloaky camper in this system i can't do this i can't do that well you need to expand your horizons a little bit go do something somewhere else pick up a new skill you know it's just a little hitch in the road yeah there's ways around it i would agree with that i would absolutely agree and it's good i like that you're teaching new bros to not necessarily just be like throwing the towel right off the bat on that right so that's again. Yeah. It's back to you know uh, expectations, right? A lot and of this, what do you do? Sorry, a lot of this game is you get out of it what you put into it. Mm-hmm. Is that that's how I look at it? And you know, if you do the extra work on this, you're going to have so much of a better game experience in the end, especially for new players. Yeah. So, how do you guys? I'm just curious. Like, do you guys set up like a, a section in the uh, in the corp hangar where it's like free ships, just come and get what you want, or do you still kind of manage? know back to a little bit like manage the things they can get do you still manage that along the way or is it kind of a free-for-all no you have to manage it some to a certain extent because that way if they're just whelping ships and stuff like that they're not learning anything in the long run so you kind of got to monitor what you know what's taken and stuff like that but if it's something that's deserved it's given yeah, I, I, I asked because I, when I when I asked when I was talking to you, I had this I remembered this corp that I had an alt in at once, and the guy had this great idea that he would just build ships endlessly and stick them in the corp hangar, and people could just take them endlessly. And uh, oh. one day, twenty coveters later, with one guy, he figured out what the hell? How could you go through twenty coveters in one day? <laughs> well, he had a good reason for it. Because he was putting this back when you could put guns on it, and he was taking the coveter out and trying to PvP with it. Oh no! Yeah. God. As he thought it was a good idea because he could sneak up on people. That was his idea. Uh, Twenty coveters later, didn't work out so well. Well, you gotta give him credit for having an idea. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, that's expectations, right? That that uh, you know, you, yeah. So, all right, that's uh, good. I like the you know good uh, good part of the conversation there. What uh, uh, what other things do you do? Uh, you know, you got with either new bros or you know your a little bit of fleet stuff like uh, jack of all trades sort of thing is the way that Rich was presenting you. Um, what other items that you think uh, you know you might want to bring to the table and, and let people know that you you do or you know something interesting along those ways? Well, like I said, I'm a jack of all trades i mean i've done pretty much everything and know pretty much nothing in the long run but you know the biggest thing is i'd like people to take from this is if you're in high sec and you're thinking about making the jump down it's not scary it's there's no bear down here there's well i mean there is to a certain extent but as long as you've got a good group of people it's it's not hard to survive down here and to make you know make some misc i mean Honestly, I very rarely have to pay for my subscriptions anymore, and that's very minimum work. Yep. Perfect example, I've got a kid that I brought with me. Um, 
that came to play when I started playing Eve again. He's been at it for about nine months now. Went from not knowing how to smash a rock with a venture to eight or nine months later. Now he's plotting wormholes. He's signing in capitals all across the map. And all he did was he took the game in perspective. He looked at what the risks and rewards were. And, you know, he ended up succeeding. And reminds me of a bit of my about myself. It's just the drive and the and the ambition and the hubris to keep on going. Oh, I'm so proud of him because I mean this. He's I call him a kid. He's not a kid. He's 22, 23. But the just the to watch someone grow like that when he actually took the time to figure the game out. It, you know, it's pretty satisfying about it, at the end of the day. That's fantastic to hear. Well, he can he can certainly has the energy for it, and I can definitely keep on going. I believe we are starting to run on time. Yeah, I think that was an excellent way to, to kind of end up, right? I mean, good final comment, right? Manage expectations. Uh, take the game in context. Uh, and you, you know, I think you had another sage piece of advice there is you, know, you get out of the game what you put into it, right? And uh, so I, I think that uh, this has been a really good conversation. I think uh, if CCP is listening or, you know, there's this moderation, it's not just you die and you retain players, but it's, again, back to having people engage with people uh, and, and then how you pull that off. So, Well, it's fantastic uh, having you on, uh, Dill Pickle. I'll well, thank you it. very much. Yeah, thanks for your time. Concluded to say, uh, well, uh, for... Bah, uh, I'm losing it right now. Here, I'll help you, Rich. From one coconut to another, you know, many Mai Tais for everyone. Hmm. What I oh, well, what I was going to conclude with is that uh, just uh, as the show was starting to be uh, beginning to start, few hours prior, there was a massive ambush in Ornanen, where Baltrum's group, No Handlebars, and their associated uh, alt group, a really strong alliance, lost at least two supercarriers and several other assets. It happened just as uh, the show has been planned out, and I hope to be able to cover it in the next episode, or whenever possible. But I believe that's all we have uh, for today. Rondo, could you, well, well, say the yeah, I mean, final that's bits? It. Uh, no, I think that's that's pretty good. It that's pretty good. So for uh, Rich Richman, Matterall in the background, uh, Zhao Shen, and uh, I guess Abby and Ren and others who were here earlier, and our guest today, Gregorin. Bill Pickle. Yes. Yeah, and Gregorin, thank you. Uh, this has been uh, Talking in Stations. Thank you very much, everyone, and we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>